Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. I wonder how many people this morning have actually ever used that wonderful piece of intuitive technology called Siri or Alexa or Google Home. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but you know, it's supposed to be able to, to activate in, in the way that's responsive to just our voice, right? And, and sometimes it will respond, sometimes it gets a little bit confused about what we've asked it to do, and sometimes it will actually just respond in the middle of a conversation that has nothing to do with Siri, right? Now, I don't know about you, and this might just be me, but I, it also has the capability that if it doesn't quite hear the words the right way, it often gives you some sort of predictive text, or it can actually use the wrong word when you send a text message, which then results in a situation which is incredibly embarrassing. That one I want to see a show of hands. Has that happened to anybody? Cool, it is not just me then, all right? Thankfully, on one occasion, I can't actually share the exact words because it's not appropriate for recording at church, but it got sent to a campus pastor who was very gracious in the way that they received it. That was incredibly embarrassing, I can tell you that. But I wonder this morning how many people can kind of see the correlation between what happens with Siri and how that can actually happen in our prayer life. We kind of feel like we have to say things in a certain way in order to get God to hear what we're asking for. Sometimes we feel like we haven't asked the right questions in order to receive the right answer. Sometimes we actually don't know how to even use the technology of Siri in much the same way that sometimes we get confused about how it is that we actually pray. Or perhaps just like Siri, we kind of see God as this far-off thing in the universe that we don't actually see or fully understand. Or perhaps for many of us, often prayer can just be one of those things that we go through the motions of because it's an expectation or an obligation of being a Christian. But we don't fully understand just how impactful and depth and significance that our prayer lives have. And this morning, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be continuing in our Rhythms of Grace series, which has been all about looking at these spiritual disciplines, these things that we can use as building blocks in our lives to help us grow in our relationship with God. And these are actually really, really important for us to do, especially in the busyness of our lives. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 to 8 which is the, uh, one of the passages that refers to prayer. And this is actually Jesus talking about how we should pray. And it's part of the Sermon of the Mount, which is probably one of the most well-known preachers ever. And it's never actually sort of changed the way that we operate. A lot of our laws actually are based on what has been said in the Sermon of the Mount. And this is what it says. So Matthew 6, 5 to 8. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. 
And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. See, Jesus is actually expecting his followers to pray and promises that prayer will be powerful and effective. But like the disciples, we actually need to come to Jesus to be reminded of how it is that we're to pray. And just for comfort, Paul actually writes uh, that we don't know how to pray or what to pray for. So if Paul's still a little bit confused, there is some hope for us. But I want you to note that any time there's sort of these repetitive phrases in Scripture, that these are, these are moments that we actually need to take note, notice of. And in these first three verses, we actually see this repeated. Through, uh, we see uh, when you pray repeated three times. Right? Five, six, and seven. So it becomes not if you pray, but when you pray. And when we pray we see change. Prayer changes us. And I am fascinated by research. I, I am a nerd. I, am, I confess that. And some of you have heard me preach before. We'll, we'll say, yes, you throw, often throw random statistics in the middle of your preach, which I am going to do now because I want to. Okay? But we often hear that prayer is actually good for us, right? But it has actually been scientifically proven that prayer is good for us, it's, and it is good for us in terms of our, like our physical, our mental, and our emotional, and our spiritual. Now, Susan Ellsmore uh, spoke a little bit about this in her message last week, but I kind of want to reiterate some of these, these points. There's, there's a relatively new uh, research area called neurotheology, and it's, I say new, it's about 25 years old, but it's actually discovered a whole bunch of incredible uh, research that indicate how important prayer is to us overall. And uh, Dr. Andrew Neuenberg, who is one of the leading uh, neurotheologists, has identified several things about prayer. First of all, he's discovered that engaging in prayer each day actually has a profound impact on our brain. It strengthens unique neural neural circuits that specifically enhances our social awareness and our empathy, which means that's actually impacting on how we interact and love our neighbors, but it also develops a heightened sense of compassion and subdues negative emotions, including anger. Secondly, prayer helps us to maintain a healthy balance in our lives. Now, this isn't study by, by Newberg, but other studies done have also suggested that prayer lowers stress and it breaks down the toxins that actually cause the stress. There's a reduction by 40% in blood pressure, which effectively boosts heart health. It reduces ego and increases humility. It, and it releases dopamine which means it increases our happiness and optimism, and that is the same effect that you have when you eat chocolate or do other things that you love. In other words, it actually increases our overall immunity. It makes us healthier. But I just want to return to to Newberg's study for just a moment and talk about an effect that he refers to as neuroplasticity. Now, neuroplasticity is the idea that you kind of, if you ever see a kid that's kind of molding Play-Doh, that's exactly the same effect as what's happening on our brain. 
and our brains work in the same way as any other muscle in our body in terms of if we go to the gym, which I clearly haven't done for a while. But what it's saying is, is this idea of neuroplasticity, it doesn't matter what we do, we either can have a healthy engagement or a negative engagement, and it's all based on our routines, our habits, our experiences, and the behaviors that we engage with daily. Newberg states that one of the eight best ways to positively shape our brains is spending time each day in prayer and personal reflection. He says, the more you engage in prayer, the longer lasting and deeper the changes that occur in the brain, and it happens in just 12 minutes a day. Richard Foster actually sums up prayer like this. To pray is to change. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. If we're unwilling to change, we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic of our lives. The closer we come to the heartbeat of God, the more we see our need and the more we desire to be formed, conformed to Christ. But how do we, how do we pray with this idea of change in mind? Now, what Jesus is talking about here in this passage is, is that our prayer lives move away from simply just lip service to a matter of the heart. It's about our motivation of why we pray in faith and obedience and then giving the attention to the one who is worthy of our prayers, to our Father. In other words, it's not merely just about demonstrating our faith. It is the way that we're exercising or practicing our faith in much the same way as we would want to improve if we were playing a musical instrument or playing sport. See, this practice is, is designed to be done in a way that grows us and our relationship with our Father. It's not done as a way of impressing others or looking to give off an impression that we're super spiritual and we're wearing a, a, an incredible, shiny spiritual badge of honor. But in reality, we're actually just wearing a mask. We're trying to cover up. And that's actually what Jesus is talking about in this first part and in the opening verses of this passage here. He's saying, don't be a hypocrite. Now, that might sound incredibly harsh, but let me just unpack this for you. See, the Jews were an incredibly, and still are, an incredibly devout people, particularly when it comes to their prayer life. They actually have specific prayers for just about every single part and aspect of their daily lives. In fact, one rabbi is actually quoted as the only negative thing about his life is that he doesn't have more uh, time in the day to actually focus on prayer. But what Jesus is talking about here is even though the Jews were, were incredibly devout, they had the potential that they were actually still doing it wrong, with the wrong motivation. Now, this word hypocrite or hypocrate, which is in the original Greek, was actually the word that was designated to an actor in a play who wasn't the main actor, but what they would do is, in order to kind of fill out the cast, they would wear different masks. They would put them on and off. Right? And, and what Jesus is referring to as these hypocritical prayers, they would be prayed at the appointed time, which was at nine, at midday, and at three. And there's two different types that, that Jesus is referring to. In the synagogue, often what would happen was someone from the congregation would be selected to come up the front 
and, and they would pray. And, and this was a moment where that particular person would have the full audience's attention and they would clearly feel like they had to say things in a certain way in order to demonstrate their faith. The, the second one, which is actually slightly more uncommon in tradition, is this idea of praying on a street corner. Now, when it talks about the street corner in the original text, it's not just talking about just a random laneway. Essentially, in contemporary, it would be like we would go into uh, somewhere like a Queen Street Mall. It was essentially the biggest street corner that they could find. And what was, what was often the hap happening and what Jesus was talking about here when he talks about the street corner prayer is although it was uncommon, people that were incredibly on time would kind of watch their watch, not that they would probably have watches, but they would know, and they would actually specifically time their movements to arrive at the point where they were standing on the street corner in order to have the biggest potential audience. But in both situations, what Jesus is talking about is these weren't prayers that were directed to God. They were directed for their own image and for the benefit of men. Now, Jesus isn't saying here at all, and, I, and, I don't, and I'm not saying this at all, he's not uh, prohibiting public or corporate prayer. I want to make that really, really clear, because that's actually really, really important. Uh, I actually want to encourage us to be able to, uh, to join together on Tuesday nights fortnightly up in the kids' building uh, for us to be able to pray together as a congregation. Uh, if you're not available, we've, um, Pam has lovingly started to put together a prayer list, so feel free to come and grab uh, one of those uh, off Pam or off any of the leadership team. We've got those available. So again, Jesus isn't prohibiting that. But I think what we need to understand is, is that our, our personal prayer lives actually go a long way to be able to contribute to our overall congregational faith and building that together. But what Jesus is warning of is the way in which we pray so that we can get a 10 out of 10 on our spiritual scorecards. Now, here's a couple of questions. If you think you might be kind of drifting into that hypocritical prayer category, here's a couple of questions to challenge. The first one is, do we pray more frequently or passionately when praying in public than we do when we're alone? And the second one is, do we often critique our own prayers or the prayers of others? We're listening, we're listening for the words that they're using or the phrases that they're saying or the tone in which they're saying rather than just actually soaking in what they're saying, being in the presence of God. See, what Jesus is saying is that this idea of hypocritical prayer is focusing on the one speaking. It's focusing on us. But true prayer is actually focusing on the one who is listening. Jesus is, is demonstrating here that this hypocrisy in prayer is a performance of religion. But true prayer is, a focus, is faith in the practice of relationship. I hate to break it to you, but God actually sees behind the mask. He sees behind our performance. But what he wants is he wants us as we are. He wants us in absolute vulnerability, longing for a relationship. Again, Jesus is emphasizing a couple of words in this passage. And again, when these are kind of evident, we need to take notice. What Jesus is saying is that the f this focus isn't on us. He is focused on our Father. 
your father. See, Jesus isn't necessarily focused on, on what we say or the posture that we take. He's actually focused on where our attention and our affection is. He's focused on where our hearts are pointed and directed. You know, and even when, when Jesus gives uh, the example of, of the prayer and how we should pray later on in the Lord's Prayer, which is just the next few verses on from here, he's actually demonstrating a pattern for us to understand. Now, I'm not going to break down uh, the Lord's Prayer because to do that, that would be an entire sermon series by itself. Uh, but I would encourage you to go back to the start of 2021 where we did that as a, a church uh, here, uh, and you can go and listen to that on Spotify or, or wherever you listen to your podcast. So I'd encourage you to go back and do that. But what I, I kind of want to show you just a quick little acronym, uh, which is based in and around the Lord's Prayer, but also some other passages that we see on prayer in Scripture, uh, just as an example of, of sort of how we can kind of start to unpack this. And it's an acronym called ACTS. And uh, I've got it up on the screen for you. The, the first, the A is the adoration. It's an attitude of worship through our love towards God. The C is for uh, confession, admitting our sins before God. Thanksgiving, thankfulness for the daily blessings or provisions that he's provided. And then the S is supplication or intercession. And this is where we ask God for something for ourselves or for someone else. So even in this model, three of the four things are about God. And then it becomes about us. What this means is we need to be putting God first in our lives, humbling ourselves before him. Go back to the research. Decreases ego, increases humility. See, tools like Axe uh, are a tool. They're, they're designed to kind of bring us back to a position that, that keeps us on track if we need a bit of help to understand how to pray. But they are not a rigid blueprint or somehow a magic formula in terms of producing the perfect prayer. Rather, it's a way that we can start to build this into our prayer time, into these rhythms of grace. See, praying to our Father is the practice of relationship, one that requires less of us and more of Him. And growing in our prayer life also helps us to grow in our understanding of who God is as our Father. Now, I'm not going to stand here today and recognize that for some people, the, the earthly dad figure that we've had, uh, is, uh, it, that could be a difficult relationship. But I want to remind us that God, our Heavenly Father, is the reality. He's the embodiment of fatherhood. And He exemplifies to perfection and fullness, all of the characteristics that we look for in a dad. Love, care, protection, affirmation, and the list goes on. Now, some of you probably would have heard uh, the last time I preached in the Identity Series, and I've spoken to a few of you, that, that my relationship with my earthly dad has at times been incredibly strained. And for me, often uh, in my life, it was about needing to do more, to be more, to perform more in order to feel like I had a relationship with him, for him to tell me that he loved me. Now, that was my perception. But when I actually sat and talked to him, despite the fact that, again, my kind of uh, example was, was a bit skewed, I had a biased view, and he had difficulty telling me and showing me 
that he loved me. He actually does. And I know that I hold value as his son. That's the value that my dad has placed on me. In the same way, prayer is where we find our identity as a child of our father who isn't looking at us based on our performance, but he is welcoming us on the basis of grace, undeserved love and favor. You know, there's actually nothing that we can do to make God hear our prayers any differently. But he invites us to come to him. He wants us to come to him, believing in him that he is our father. And understanding this is actually what turns, it changes our view from our eyes being how we act in front of other people to who we are before God. What are your thoughts about God this morning? Do you trust him? Do you approach him in faith? Do you know that he is your heavenly father who already knows your needs? He wants to bless you. All you have to do is ask. You see, changing this understanding of who God is will change the way that we pray to him. The more we understand this, the more we will actually realize this truth of verse 8. He knows what we need before we ask. But some of you might be thinking, but if he already knows, then what's the point of praying? Well, Clark says this, prayer is not designed to inform God, but to give man a sight of his misery, to humble his heart, to excite his desire, to inflame his faith, to animate his hope, to raise his soul from earth to heaven and to put him in mind that there is our Father and there is our inheritance. See, the point of prayer is that God delights in us being involved in the process of what he is doing in our lives. And he delights in answering our prayers. Tell him how much, we need to tell him how much we love him and how thankful that we are for all the blessings that he gives us and we're thankful for the fact that he loves us despite all of our imperfections. Prayer isn't technical, it's personal and it's relational. It's about having a heart to heart with our Father where we're honest with him. He doesn't need flowery words. And even in those moments when you come to him, in those times where you feel like you can't pray and you literally say, God, I don't want to pray to you. You know what? He still delights in hearing that because you're communicating with him. You're telling him what's on your heart. And they're called lamenting prayers and we see them all throughout scripture. See, because what he wants to do in those moments is that he already knows that you're hurting, but he wants to bring you peace, love, and kindness. Reassurance. See, prayer in relationship is not about demonstrating how much you believe about God. It is about demonstrating how much you believe in God. It's exercising that faith. 
See, prayer becomes more about the desperation for something, but the desperation for someone, our Father. And prayer is where we must go in order to receive the treasures that he's promised to us. Now, some of you might have seen uh, this movie. Uh, It's called War Room. Uh, And if you haven't, I would highly recommend it. It may be kind of in the category of the cheesy Christian movie. Uh, But uh, I do actually want to recommend that you watch it. If you want a good family, wholesome movie, absolutely watch watch this because it it will empower you. I think uh, we watched it last night and Emma said she cried about three times. Uh, Once for me, just to be honest. (laughs) Uh, she did ask me and I said no no it's just something in my eye you know as we normally do but the reason I say this is because again we go back to the original Greek word here and the word for room that's referenced here in the scripture is the same word that actually means uh, storeroom where treasures are held so when we pray it's all about seeking the treasures and the blessings that God has for us. And I love the imagery in in Psalm 91 where it gives us this beautiful picture of a secret place that we can go and we can just sit in the presence of God. You know, it was actually once thought that this secret place was only designed for a high priest that could go on behalf of the people once a year uh, to offer prayers uh, to God. But through Jesus, this place actually becomes available and completely accessible to all of us, even if we don't feel good enough to pray to God. It becomes about finding a way that we can just sit in God's presence and have a heart-to-heart with our Father without the distractions of the world and all of those false things that it provides us, all the distraction of other people. But again, Jesus kind of offers a warning around entering our prayer time with, without the right intention, with, without the right heart. And this is probably my favorite translated word, that when it talks about the babbling of the pagans, it literally translates to blah, blah, blah. Badalagio, check it out, blah, blah, blah. It's great. So what Jesus is talking about here is is this idea of thoughtless prayer, just empty words kind of offered up without any intention, without the focus of our hearts or the focus on the one worthy of our prayer. Uh, I don't know about you, but I remember our family family prayer that we would say before every mealtime. For love and strength and daily food, we praise your name, O Lord. Amen. Now, this is one of those hindsight moments that when you're preparing a a sermon, you often are kind of waiting for God to kind of give you a bit of a smack around the head, you know, a little bit of those hindsight moments. And this is what happened over our family grace. And uh, the reason I say that is, yes, you can forgive me as my naivety as a kid, but where it became really apparent to me is often my siblings and I would try to become the fastest one who could get to the to the end, to the amen, because especially as teenagers, we were hungry and we wanted to eat, right? And then we would wonder why mum and dad would say, no, we want you to say it again, and this time say it like you mean it. I think it got to the point where it was heavenly parta, amen, eat. <laughs> but that, that was a hindsight thing for me. I think often when I would say that, uh, I would wonder whether I actually meant what I was saying. 
and although that prayer was, was quite short, it is actually packed with, with quite a lot of really, really good um, stuff in there. But the thing we, we've also got to remember that the true power of prayer is, is not in its length, but it's in its strength. It doesn't necessarily matter how long the prayer is or how many big, impressive words you use. It's about the strength of the prayer from a faithful heart to your Father. Again, Jesus isn't saying that long prayers are bad and short prayers are good, but he's warning of the emptiness of our prayers, especially if they're not with the right heart. We often hear that, that prayer is like a conversation with God, and that, that's absolutely correct. And what we've got to look at is that conversations can be as long or as short as they need to be. And that's for a variety of different reasons. Perhaps we enjoy talking to the person that we're talking to, or, or we enjoy the topic that we're talking about. And most of you will know, if you want to get me talking, we talk about discipleship. But it also becomes about trying to deal with certain situations and circumstances that we're dealing with in our life. We're kind of trying to work these things through. And in the same way, just like a conversation with a really good friend that's trying to help us out, our conversations with God will get longer as we start to build this relationship with Him. Regardless of long or short, He still hears, He still sees, and He will reward you with the treasure of prayer when you come to Him with the right heart. We can also pray at any time, but something that I'm pretty confident about is that unless we're sitting in these moments specific developing this relationship, those prayers can still seem quite empty. So by, by setting aside time to actually go and have those longer conversations with him, it actually builds the strength of those spontaneous prayers in the moment. The room doesn't necessarily have to be a room, but it could be a routine or it could be both. But for a routine, it means that something else has to be removed and replaced. And it becomes about the priority of, of what it is that we do, what it is we're putting in, and what it is that we're taking out. And Dave spoke about that back at the start when he spoke about simplicity. So you can kind of see how these are all starting to link together. And perhaps something that you might need to give up is, is watching a Netflix show or scrolling through your favorite social media. 12 minutes a day is all it takes. The other thing is that it can and should be done by spending time in God's Word. And Colin spoke about that a couple of weeks ago when we were focusing on Scripture and, and understanding this, this idea of discerning and doing, hearing and understanding what God is saying and then doing. This is where conversation becomes a two-way street. God wants to talk to us as well. We just have to be willing to listen. Now, uh, my wife, Emma, and I, we, we renovated uh, a couple of months ago, uh, and uh, I can tell you it would not have been anywhere close to a 10 out of 10 on the block. Uh, and uh, I need to preface this by saying that we are renting our house at the moment, so the renovation was not extensive, but to say renovation just sounds way more impressive, right? Essentially, all that we actually did was we rearranged some furniture in the office, we built, built a couple of things ourselves, and then we went out and purchased some new furniture. 
And the reason we did this was because I actually was feeling really overwhelmed because at the point I didn't have anywhere that I wasn't eating or sleeping or studying, which has been pretty much my life for the last little while. And I was starting to become uh, really overwhelmed and and really stressed and anxious and and all of those other things. And as part of this renovation, we, uh, we put in the corner of my office uh, we bought a simple lamp, chair, and coffee table. And what we did in that moment was the fact that it gave me a place where I could specifically go and I could sit. I could reflect. I could pray. I could listen. Now, I'm, I still don't do this every morning, but I, I try to attempt to do it before I've done anything else, before I open my laptop. And this is the moment where I have to confess that that some of these practices, they're still being built in my own life. So I'm not standing here telling you anything that I don't need to learn to do myself. But I can tell you there is a huge difference between the days that I go and I sit and I do this. I can focus a whole lot better. My attention, my patience, all of these things, I can handle things that get thrown at me a whole lot better. And when I don't, I'm impatient, I get upset, I'm frustrated, I don't know what what I'm going to look at next, I can't focus. I can tell you it makes a huge difference. But our times in prayer are this place of reward. God our Father is waiting for us there and His desire is to bless us. The question is, are you faithfully entering your prayer room to be rewarded by God? What does it or what could it look like? How could you build that into your routine? See, often as Christians, we get really good about talking about prayer, but we're actually not as good as practicing it. What are the prayer perceptions this morning that you need to undo or the mask that you need to remove? Is there a scheduled time and or place you can build into your routine, something that you can remove to let God take the priority in order to build a deeper relationship with Him? See, prayer is actually like the breath of our spiritual lives. We don't stop to think about how we breathe because it is a vital function to the way that we live. We need to be laying the things down that we thought were the expectations of prayer and actually practice it. Pray more often. Make it a priority and there is the promise that we will experience the presence of God in ways that we have never experienced them before. And as I finish this morning, I actually want to read this passage again but I want to read it from the message translation because I love the imagery that this actually presents to us. And I found it incredibly helpful. And when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for 15 minutes of fame. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage 
the focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you are dealing with and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. See, prayer when, when talking to our Father is absolutely nothing like when we talk to Siri, where it has to be done in a certain way in order for us to feel like we need to activate it. God actually just wants to hear from us in the best way that you know how and then work on it. Grow in it, but do it with a faithful heart. You know, in, the, in the busyness of life, it is important to stop. And that's what we've been talking about, this whole Rhythms of Grace series. So as a church right now, we're going to do something that I know will feel incredibly awkward. You'll notice the band hasn't started playing yet. That's for a reason. We're going to take this opportunity to just sit, to stop. Whether you want to pray out loud, you pray in your head, I want you just to sit in a moment and practice this rhythm of grace. Tell God what's on your heart, what your desires are, what your struggles are. So this morning, my encouragement is whatever it is that is on your heart, pray about it. Reach out to your Father who wants to bless you, who wants to give you those rewards. So this morning as we sit, just do it in the best way that you know how. Just start. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you, or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.